Hello, and welcome to the On Your Left Politics Podcast, the podcast that's probably to your left. My name is Katrina Ames, and I use she, them pronouns. And my name is Narali Sheth. I use she, her pronouns. We post every Wednesday night, so uh, be sure to hit the follow button or the subscribe button or whatever button there is. It's really fun pressing buttons. Um, I remember being little and pushing them on the ele- pushing like all of them on the elevator. Um, you can't do that now, so push this button. We want you to push it. I just learned a lot about what kind of kid you were. <laughs> I liked the sensory feelings. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Um, You can also support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash onyourleftpod and help us make this podcast even better. All right. So we're talking about a lot today, Um, but uh, I I don't know if you noticed, but we are two Asian people speaking to you in your ears right now. Uh... And that's important to us. Our Asian identities are very important to us. So this week we're going to talk all about that. Yeah, and I think it's really important because recently on the podcast we actually haven't brought up being Asian a lot except when we're talking about Black Lives Matter and racial justice to make it clear that we are not black. We do not have experiences with anti-blackness. But we do have Asian-specific experiences and experience anti-Asian racism, and those issues are important to us, and we want to talk about our personal experiences and these things that really impact our lives. Yeah. Um, So, but the reason why it's in the news a lot lately is because, um, well, we're still in a pandemic, and... um, COVID-19 has really fueled um, anti-Asian racism and xenophobia. When nationwide shutdowns began in March, the FBI warned that hate crimes against Asian and, and the Asian American populations would grow, and uh, spoiler alert, it did. Yeah, look, the FBI was right. I, I actually, I have nothing else to say. The FBI was right. Wow. Um, <laughs> we have a and- lot of beef with the FBI sometimes, but not, not, not this time. <laughs> Well, the the stuff the FBI does around hate crimes, boy, do they know what they're doing there. Mm-hmm. And, um, look, since its official launch on March 19th of 2020, there was a group called Stop AAPI Hate, which is a national coalition aimed at addressing anti-Asian American discrimination amid the pandemic. And people have self-reported to it. 2,583 incidents of discrimination against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders from the United States from just March 19th to August 5th of this year. Yeah, March, April, May, June, July, August. That's six months. Not even six months. And these are just what's been reported to them. These are self-reported. Think of all of the people that don't report because they don't feel like it's important or like anything is going to get done if they do report it or things like what happened to uh my puerto rican husband who had someone follow him home uh asking if he was asian and why he was wearing a mask oh my gosh because that's it's anti-asian racism it just didn't happen to an asian because that person was very inefficient in their racism yeah yeah I mean, he's related to an Asian, but, but that person didn't go to you. By choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, gosh. 
I hate not smart racism. I hate r- smart racism, but I also hate not smart racism. Um, but according to uh, the Stop AAIP hate group, um, verbal attacks are rampant. Seven out of ten incidents involved verbal harassment, which included racial slurs, name-calling, profanities, um, and physical assaults made up 9% of the incidents, which out of 2,500 incidents, that's a lot. That's hundreds of people who were physically assaulted and attacked because they were Asian. And there is absolutely no reason for that kind of hatred. Uh, There is absolutely no way that these were in any way justified and uh please don't assault people yeah we're against preventable violence and this is very very preventable (laughs) yeah i feel like i learned in preschool to like not hit people yeah and i'm really upset that other people didn't learn that lesson yeah because of this racism that is uh that was fueled by covid19 um Civil rights are being violated. Uh, Potential civil rights violations, including workplace discrimination and being barred from establishments and transportation, comprised 8% of the incidents, which is, again, far too high a number to feel comfortable. Yeah, that's still hundreds of people. Um, Civil rights are important. We as a country have fought are for our entire existence for the expansion of civil rights because we believe here that all people were created equal and are endowed with the same rights and we have never once in our history lived up to that idea nope nope but we're we want to we really want to (laughs) we want to so badly (laughs) one other finding that I found interesting were the gender disparities between incidents. Women reported discrimination 2.4 times more than men did. Wow. Um, Which is a huge disparity, and I don't know if it's because men are underreporting because they don't feel like it, or if because there is the simple fact that uh, we hate women in this society, and women are targets who have Probably every adult woman I have ever met has dealt with verbal harassment on the regular. Yeah. And it's just, it's just in, it's like the baseline is woman hate. And then the more marginalization you have, the more, the more discrimination you get, you know? Like the more identities you have. I don't want to pretend that this isn't an intersectional issue and that, Uh, Asian women aren't being impacted differently by this outbreaks in anti-Asian racism because they absolutely are. I mean, this is always going to be a problem that impacts our community, but I don't think anti-Asian racism should ever be separated from feminism and how our striving for racial equality has to include gender equality. Definitely. So Cynthia Choi, uh, is an activist who helped create Stop AAIP Hate. Um, 
she attributed the rise in anti-Chinese rhetoric in the U.S. to President Trump's use of terms like Chinese virus and, oh God, this is disgusting, Kung flu uh, to describe the coronavirus. He used the latter term in two rallies, both times eliciting cheers from the audience, which means people, people like those awful, horrible racist terms. Because America. What Donald Trump is doing is signaling to his audience and his base that anti-Asian racism is acceptable. And I truly believe that Donald Trump thinks that racism is acceptable and that it should be spread, it should be encouraged, and that being racist and targeting Asians will result in people cheering for you and positive affirmation for hurting other people. Uh, another interesting fact is that uh, this isn't just happening in the in the U.S. It's also happening in the United Kingdom. Um, ministers in the U.K. have reported a 21% increase in such hate crimes since lockdown measures were put in place. This is a massive increase. Um, and it's also not very surprising that the U.K. and the U.S. are very similar in this at the moment. We are mostly an American-centered politics podcast because we are both Americans. But I don't want the rest of, like, the world thinking that they're not racist. Stop it. Yeah, so people seem to think that, like, racism doesn't exist in Europe. Uh, it, it does. It does. I promise. They're the ones that colonize the rest of the world. Do you think racism doesn't exist there? Um, one of the biggest reasons that people think that Europe doesn't experience racism is because when they think of Europeans, they only think about white people. Mm -hmm. Which is a problem because there are people of color in Europe who are citizens of the European Union and the UK and are there largely because of past colonialism and who have a different experience from white Europeans. And we just don't think about them. In addition to the hate crimes against Asians that have happened due to the coronavirus, um, even before the pandemic, changes in immigration policy from the Trump administration, uh, including restrictions on travel from countries with sub substantial Muslim populations, remember the Muslim ban, that was a thing, um, and crackdowns on issuing H-1B visas, uh, which uh, roughly 70% of the recipients are from India, uh, have also driven South Asian Americans to become more politically engaged. Yeah, um, I I work in immigration, and um, it's not fun. It's not fun under under the the current president. It's really not. <laughs> and for people who don't know, an H one B visa is a classification that permits a foreign national to work in the United States for a temporary period. Uh, the it's about the maximum amount of time that can a person can hold an h1b visa which i believe you also need a company to sponsor you for uh is yes. six years and mm -hmm. it can be issued in increments of up to three years yeah so you can only get the a visa renewed once the h1b visa renewed once Basically, if you get the maximum both times. So, uh, some back, some inside baseball uh, knowledge is that you literally have to. We ha like 
you have to get your degree vetted. You have to get every single class that you've taken under your degree vetted. And you have to prove that no one else in no one in the country that you're trying to go to can do the job that you can. And you have to do that by getting outside approval from someone from a university in the United States saying stating that the degree that you have is legit and that degree makes you qualified to work in the United States under that job. Um, and it, it's ju- it's a lot of hoops to jump through. It is not easy to get this kind of visa at all. And although the restrictions of H-1B visas does impact a lot of Indians, it does impact a lot of people from Asian countries, it is weird because it is specifically focused at stopping the incredibly wealthy and well-educated from coming here, which Mm -hmm. is not normally the stance that our country takes. Yeah, people usually want skilled workers in the country and not unskilled workers, which is a whole nother can of worms that I don't think we're going to get into at the moment because we have a lot to talk about, but um, that's typically the stance the United States takes. Yeah, if you want us to talk more about uh, how immigration and workers' rights intersect as issues please tell us on twitter please let us know what you want us to talk about we have there are so many things to choose from yeah (laughs) there's so much to talk about um speaking of having a lot to talk about um there's an election happening this year i don't know if y'all heard it's 2020 it's it's uh it's divisible by four therefore um it's an election year yeah so i have been counting down to the November 3rd general election since November 9th of 2016. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's our one chance. Our one chance. Yep. The whole impeachment thing didn't work out, so now this is what we're doing. So the the person, uh, our now lord and savior, uh, who will hopefully defeat Donald Trump is is Joe Biden. He's our first choice now. Because Joe Biden is our first choice, we wanted to see what he would actually do for the Asian American and Pacific Islander community, which are always paired up when we're talking about race because we don't disaggregate the data. More on that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Biden does have a specific agenda for the Asian American Pacific Islander community, and I think it's important that we talk about it so we can build out a vision for what we as a community want from this next administration. Definitely. Um, So we talked a lot about COVID at the top of this episode, um, and uh, Joe Biden is also heavily focused on COVID-19. He wants to mount a decisive health and economic response to COVID-19. I checked uh, various plans based on uh, race that Joe Biden had, and co- the COVID-19 epidemic is not at the top of every plan on Joe Biden's website. It is at the top of the Asian plan. Uh, I think it should be at the top of every plan. This is an issue that is impacting every person in our country and exasperating inequalities that existed before. Mm-hmm. But the COVID-19 epidemic uh, has also led to a lot of people of color dying and a rise in anti-Asian racism. So I get why it's here 
at the top of the plan. Yeah. And Biden does intend to address every aspect of this pandemic, and that does include the spate of racist incidents targeting Asian Americans with urgency and seriousness, which is what we need and not what we have. Yep. I would definitely describe uh, the Trump administration's response to this pandemic as relaxed and silly. Yep. That, yep. The precise opposite of urgent and serious. We need a real response to the COVID-19 pandemic because I I just want people to stop dying. Mm-hmm. I wish I had something more insightful to say, but I just want people to stop dying. Other countries have proven that these deaths are, in fact, preventable just by creating stay-at-home mandates, by... Um, doing everything possible to limit the spread of this virus. And um, that's not happening. Kids are moving into universities right now. Kids are starting to take classes. <laughs> Which we talked about in the last episode. If you want to learn more about the COVID-19 response that Joe Biden intends to take, I think you should listen to our last episode about his plan on reopening schools safely. Because... We have done such a bad job preventing the spread of this pandemic that it is impacting children and we don't know what is going to happen to the children that will get sick because of school. Mm -hmm. But um, going back to um, Joe Biden's Asian specific policy, um, one of the uh, one of the main things he wants to do uh, post covid is um, elevate AAPI voices and increase uh, representation in government, which includes nominating and appointing federal officials and judges who look like the rest of America, which includes Asian American and Pacific Islander individuals. I think when we say that we want people that look like America, we specifically are saying that there are a lot of white men in government. Like, a lot, a lot of white men. Like, Every woman who has ever served on the Supreme Court did so within my lifetime. Yeah, that's... <laughs> and there was only one woman of color there. Thank you, Sonia Sotomayor. We gotta get more female judges. We gotta get more uh, judges of color. Gotta get all of it. And uh, we, we need so much. And I wonder I wonder how many Asian judges there actually are. Person. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. So we want to... That was the easiest yep. Google search ever. There's a... Oh, great. If you search federal judicial um there's just a list of the Asian American judges. <laughs> there are, Is it a long there list? There are 48. <laughs> I feel like that's not a lot. No. There are more American states than there are Asian American judges. Okay. So there are... Over 850 federal judges. Uh, we have, you know, the nine on the Supreme Court, uh, about 180 on the Court of Appeals, and 675-ish uh, on district courts and the courts of international trade. And that's a lot. That's a lot. Am I going to fact check those numbers right now? Probably not. I know they're close to right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are... Almost 900 federal judges, and there are almost no Asians on federal benches. And that's a problem. There 
are also not a lot of women on federal benches. There are also not a lot of black people on federal benches. We have a lot of problems in this country, and getting people in power that look like America is one way to help alleviate the problems that we are experiencing in this country, because when you're in power, you generally don't want to hurt people uh, that belong to your communities. Hopefully you don't want to hurt anyone. But Donald Trump is in power, and we know that he wants to hurt people, so... Specifically people of marginalized identities. Yeah. He doesn't really want to hurt the white men unless the white men disagree with him. <laughs> then he really wants to hurt them, but that's a different story. One way that Joe Biden wants to help make sure that our voices are represented in government and listened to and valued is to ensure that federal agencies are considering our communities in the design and implementation of federal programs. Um, he wants to do that by having a presidential advisory commission on Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. And he wants to do the same thing with Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders by strengthening a Pacific Island task force. Because Although Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are generally considered together on most official documents, we have very different issues, specifically, uh, you know, how Native Hawaiians are indigenous people who have their own country, and then we took over it. Yep. For capitalism. Because, because capitalism. <laughs> I hate it. I appreciate this separation. We have different problems that need to be addressed by our government. Yeah, you you can't reduce all Asian American and Pacific Islander people into one category because that minimizes the individual struggles each identity has. I know this may be a shock to some listeners, but Asians are not in fact a monolith. Yeah, I mean, if you see a picture of me and Katrina, we don't really look anything alike. We do not. <laughs> There are also a couple of things under his um, Asian American and Pacific Islander plan um, that aren't really specific to the Asian community, but are important. Um, and that includes protecting and building on the Affordable Care Act, uh, investing in students and educators, supporting education beyond high school, and ending uh, the gun violence epidemic. All extremely important things that would affect everyone, including the Asian American community. And yeah, this plan was presented with these things in mind, but without saying how they would address specifically how it impacts the Asian American community. And I think that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do need to make sure that everybody has health care. We do need to ensure that our students are given good opportunities regardless of their race or uh, the income level of their family. And yeah, we need to end the gun violence epidemic. Because I'm tired of people dying. They, we should stop killing them. Mm -hmm. But these issues weren't presented in a way that makes it clear that these are relevant to the AAPI community. And it wasn't showing why it's important to our community or how we will address them with specificity to our community. Yeah, we need a more specific plan. But another thing uh, Biden wants to do is invest in uh, our communities for, through housing, um, which is really important. Um, it's nice to have a home, I will say that much. Yeah, um, this plan also wasn't super specific as to how it would impact Asians, 
but the housing crisis breaks down upon class and race lines. We've seen it over and over again. Although the housing crisis impacts Black people and Latinx people more often uh, with receiving higher interest rates on mortgages, uh, despite having the same income level or the same credit score as white people because we live in a racist society, uh, it does also impact Asian Americans and what we are able to do and how we exist within the world and everybody should have housing. Moving on from that, uh, something else the Biden campaign has uh, discussed um, is uh, creating uh, entrepreneurship and small business growth in AAPA communities, um, which means increasing funding in the which means increasing funding for the Minority Business Development Agency budget and helping people of color and women access funding to start small businesses. As uh, two people who uh, create a lot of stuff independently of, like, business, it would be nice. It would be nice. Small businesses, they're the backbone of our economy. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash onyourleftpod. <laughs> Please support us. Yeah, if you want to support Asian uh, small business growth, consider supporting <laughs> us. Hey, hey, Joe Biden, I hear you're interested in uh, Asian American small businesses. Ever heard of the podcast industry? <laughs> Joe Biden, if you sponsor our podcast, we will stop saying you're our first choice now, and we will change the name of the segment to Joe Biden is our first choice. Yeah, we will... We will uh, shamelessly lavish praise upon you instead of reluctantly acknowledging your your positions. Yeah, I feel fine with this. I am absolutely <laughs> fine. Right. <laughs> back, to, back to the podcast. Back to discussing racism in Asian American communities. Um <laughs> So another thing uh, our first choice now wants to do is counter the rise in hate crimes. Um, many Asian American and Pacific Islanders, including Sikh, Hindu, and Muslim Americans, have continually faced discrimination and hate, um, which is further ex- exacerbated by Trump's dangerous rhetoric. Uh, we know this. Uh, and uh, Biden's Justice Department will prioritize prosecuting hate crimes. Hmm. I mean... I would prefer a non-prosecutorial uh, um, solution, but this works. I mean, we never thought they're gonna happen, so I'm okay with saying that we will prosecute them if they happen. Yeah, I would prefer also implementing strategies that lead to fewer hate crimes, and I hope that he'll do that. Yeah, but we know that they'll happen. Um, we, they happen all the time to religious minorities in our country, and there happens to be a lot of overlap between religious minorities and Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. Another really good thing, actually, that Biden wants to prioritize is uh, protecting the planet against climate change. Uh, this specifically helps Asian Americans because uh, two states with the largest percentage of Asian Americans are Hawaii and California, and they remain extremely vulnerable to the risks of climate change. He has a pretty good climate plan, which we've discussed. Um, and you can also check it out on his website. Yeah, we make an excellent podcast where we talk about policy. We have talked about the climate 
policy and other actions that we think we should be taking. A lot of the time when we think about environmental justice and stopping climate change, we think of white activists, but people of color are constantly the ones that are at the most at risk of climate catastrophes. Yeah, I also, uh, I think we both highly recommend um, Taylor Benke, it's Radish Times video on this subject, which is called Climate Justice is Racial Justice. It's a very good video. Highly recommend. And then um, if you're going to watch that, you should also watch a video from a channel called Zentoro uh, that also collaborated on that video, but made a separate video uh, as a white activist about how COVID-19 changes climate action and how people of color uh, and poor people are consistently not involved in the leadership of climate action. Even though it affects us constantly, um, it impacts us more than it does wealthy white communities. We constantly give attention to white activists working in climate change because we live in a society that prioritizes and props up whiteness. Even though I think the white activists are doing a great job. I like Greta Thunberg. I like Miriam from Centuro. I think they're doing really good and important work, but so are people of color. Yeah, it's also important to remember that climate change is a global catastrophe. It doesn't just affect Americans, um, and there are activists around the world, including many, many, many activists of color whose voices just are not being heard as much. And that's also why foreign policy is extremely important to climate change. I think it's time to actually talk a little bit about foreign policy. I think we're going to start by kind of talking about immigration. Mm -hmm. uh, because Joe Biden wants to secure our values as a nation of immigrants. Because most people that live in America had roots as immigrants uh, or were not brought here by choice. Joe Biden wants to do things like undoing the Muslim ban. We've already talked about how a lot of Asians also belong to religious minorities and outright banning certain people from coming to this country uh, is unconstitutional, for one thing, and is mm -hmm. racist for another. Yeah, uh, Biden would undo the Muslim ban, um, which wasn't really a Muslim ban. Let's not but it was a Muslim ban. It was a whole thing. Um, <laughs> it was a thing and a half. It was a uh, complicated way to make a Muslim ban without having to outright say it was a Muslim ban. Yeah, he only tweeted that it was a Muslim ban. He, he didn't. <laughs> oh, God, kill me. Um, Biden would also work with Congress to pass legislative immigration reform that would modernize our system, which would be extremely helpful for me personally. Um, I, I would like the system to be modernized, please. Oh my gosh, it's so much paperwork on actual paper. Uh, yes, for those who don't know, Morali, uh, proofreads translations. Yeah. And that includes a lot of visa applications and a more modern system would really help her out personally. <laughs> and I think that's important. Yeah. Please, Joe Biden, do this. Modernize the system. I mean, do it do it for immigrants, too, but, like... I mean, one of your citizens also wants this. So, the, the modernized system would uh, prioritize keeping families together, 
which is um, not something that's happening at the moment, uh, by providing a roadmap to citizenship uh, for nearly 11 million undocumented immigrants, um, including 1.7 million from Asia. Uh, yeah, it's it's not just Mexicans. They're, they're not the only undocumented immigrants. There are a lot of undocumented immigrants, um, and many of them are just visa overstays, which means that they have proof that they would be let into this country otherwise. They just stay, overstate their visa. The way that we imagine immigration and undocumented immigration is inaccurate uh, and is largely the result of propaganda. Mm -hmm. But we shouldn't forget that, you know, Asians are immigrants. Asians are sometimes undocumented immigrants, making up about 10% of all undocumented immigrants. And we know that because we have documentation on them. And uh, it should go without saying, but it clearly doesn't in this day and age that undocumented immigrants are still human beings who deserve human rights. Joe Biden also intends to increase the number of visas offered for permanent work-based immigration based on macroeconomic conditions and exempt any cap of recent graduates from PhD programs in STEM fields. That is a lot of jargon, mm -hmm. but basically Joe Biden wants to let very highly educated people into the country to fill specific roles for things that our country needs. Yeah. I yeah, and I feel fine with that. I mean, we we let Nazi scientists basically build our space program. I think we can let uh highly educated medical researchers into the country and engineers and I people who work on literally everything I don't understand, I have a degree in literature. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm sorry to any um, literature PhDs who are looking to get into the country. I highly doubt this includes us. Um, not that I'm a PhD, but I highly doubt that English majors are going to be in high demand, um, considering they use the term macroeconomic conditions. Um, unless there's suddenly a high demand for literature uh not gonna happen look i'm just gonna say we undervalue the humanities and that has led to us not understanding propaganda that is put right in front of us repeating history just all over the place when we we knew how to avoid it the history the historians are constantly mad at us for the mess we've gotten ourselves into yeah there is a roadmap to uh like, not becoming immune to propaganda, but be but becoming aware of propaganda. And we're just not reading the roadmap. We are completely ignoring everything that could prevent us from becoming an authoritarian fascist state. Please, please, dear God, vote for Joe Biden. Don't, don't let us keep doing this. But yeah, we like smart people who are good at science and math because... Even though I considered going back to school to get my PhD because doctor is a gender-neutral honorific, that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay, so um, Joe Biden also wants to reform the temporary visa program. Um, again, this is for um, highly educated specialty workers um, to uh, protect their wages uh, 
and expand the number of visas offered and limit limits on uh, employment-based visa by country, that doesn't necessarily mean a bunch of companies are going to start uh, sponsoring like all of the people they like every single person from a country, but it because you know they have budgets too, but um, it does mean that it's it it'll make it'll make it a lot easier for companies to take the risk in uh, trying to sponsor someone from another country. Yeah, right now, um, the way that our immigration system is set up for this is we basically said that from every country, we will accept the same amount of people uh, for these kinds of visa. And there are more people trying to get here from India and Mexico and China than are trying to get here from Finland because why would you leave Finland? They're so happy and they have universal health care. <laughs> why would you come here? Oh man. There's also I would like universal health care. Yeah. There's also just like fewer people in general in Finland, but we would accept the same number of immigrants from there that we would accept from India. And that leads to really long lines in our immigration system of generally highly skilled workers that we want to be here. Biden also wants to uh, increase the number of refugees we welcome into the country, which is huge, especially for um, refugees who are fleeing like literal genocide, uh, like uh, Rohingya Muslims and uh, Uyghur Muslims. Um, it's, a, it's a massive problem, and I really hope we're able to uh, increase the number of refugees that can enter the country and also increase the safety of refugees that are in this country. Um, and uh, Biden also wants to reinstate uh, the DACA program. Um, so another thing uh, Biden wants to do is eliminate language barriers for people in AAIP communities. Um, he will direct his agencies to identify ways to increase access to federal programs for uh AAPI individuals and families, including those who are limited language proficient, and also ensure that um, public schools have ESL support, um, English as a second language, English language learning support, uh, which is great. All public sh schools should have that. Um, however, it is, it is good to remember that uh, English is not the national language. It's just what the majority of people here speak. There is no national language, and that is on purpose. Uh, friendly reminder to um, everyone, including Joe Biden. English is not the national language. I am allowed to speak whatever language I want living in America. That is a freedom that I have. Creating a system that lowers barriers and specifically helps people that don't speak English very well or don't know a lot of English uh, is important. It is also important to acknowledge that nobody that comes here is obligated to speak English and anyone who learns a second language is so much better of a person than I am and put in so much more work than I do and it's probably smarter than I am. I only speak English because my parents spoke English around me. Yeah, I can't, like, my Gujarati is crap, and that's a language I grew up with. So anyone who can speak English fluently uh, without growing up with it 
like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I am constantly impressed by every bilingual person. Constantly. And I am way more impressed by bilingual people who chose to live in a country where the majority language spoken is their second language or even their third language. Because uh, that's it's incredibly brave. Once again, an election is coming up in 55 days, um, and Biden wants to stre- strengthen the right to vote. Um, and approximately uh, 33% of Asian American and Pacific Islanders who are limited English proficient uh, have difficulty navigating through the voting process because it is usually in English. Um, and that is an unnecessary barrier to uh exercising someone's right to vote things like ballot initiatives are very often purposefully written to be confusing to native english speakers as well it is a process that is designed to be confusing very frequently we don't phrase things in several different ways uh to let people understand easily what is happening we created a system that is really difficult for people who speak English as a second language. We also created a system that is incredibly ableist, and that's how we vote. It's Mm -hmm. messed up, and uh, one thing we can do to help with that is to restore the Voting Rights Act in full. Yes, that would be nice. I just want people to be able to vote. The last thing I'm going to talk we're going to talk about for this like domestic policy is a tiny tiny blurb within his Asian American plan which is to disaggregate data to achieve equal representation currently we aggregate all of the data on the AAPI community and that does a disservice to the diversity and the needs of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders first what does aggregation of data mean i assume that you have filled out your census mhm On the census, you probably marked for race. Your family probably marked Asian for everyone. Yep. I also did that. Uh, We are different kinds of Asian, though. Yes, very different. But within that, uh, there are also huge disparities within the Asian community. For example, uh, South Asians, generally, if they are Asian American, do not have access to the same economic or educational opportunities that East Asians do. Speaking in very broad strokes here, because this is about data. Um, And that leads to things like the story I'm about to tell, where I made a post on Equal Pay Day, and I included a mention and a graph about how the pay disparity within Asian Americans and how Uh, There is both a gender pay gap, a racial pay gap, and pay gaps within the Asian American community uh, with um, Asians making less money. And that led to my white brother-in-law, who does not listen to this podcast, I am 100% sure of that. So my my white brother-in-law left a comment saying that, um, that the racial pay gap isn't real because on average, Asian Americans... Uh, Asian women make more money than white women. That is just not true. Is it true? It is true on a vast it, level oh, yeah. because because this mm-hmm. is largely due to immigration changes in the 1980s, like the HB1 visas that let highly educated workers and highly skilled workers into the country. 
And like we said earlier, 70% of those visas go to Indian Americans. Well, go to Indians. They're not Americans yet. Yeah. H-1B visas has made, has skewed the data because only people getting high paying jobs are coming into this country from, from India. Whereas in America, you could be a white female Dunkin' Donuts worker and also there is there are white CEOs. So that that average has a lot more variety. Like there's a lot more diversity in pay in wages. I feel like that's fair to say. In that data pool of white women than there is in Asian American women. Yeah. And then there's also the like diversity of experiences that you can break down by ethnicity. There are several specific Asian ethnicities and we have varying different outcomes uh, just because of how we've built communities and how we have been let into the country over time. So our data is skewed because of recent immigration changes that let highly skilled workers who probably already came from wealthy backgrounds into America. Um, and so that means two things. First of all, my white brother-in-law did not look at the second graph. Mm -hmm. I posted multiple points of data, and he only looked at the first picture and ignored all of the words that I said, which is wrong. Come on, brother-in-law. Come on, man. <laughs> the second thing this means is this is a super common problem because we put in like our census data, we both marked Asian. And that means that we're putting all of that data together and ignoring the way that specific parts of our community are treated differently and have different access to opportunities and have different access to education, specifically higher education, because there are some Asian ethnicities that even if they get accepted into college are more likely to drop out because they don't have the wealth back home that would let them to continue to do this. And I can say from personal experience that it is hard to finish college when you're trying to work three jobs and like barely able to feed yourself. There are huge, huge disparities just within the Asian community, and we completely gloss over that by putting all of our data together. When you think about the amount of peop about of Asians in America, it seems obvious that there is that disparity. And when you think about the amount of countries in Asia and the amount of countries that Asian Americans are originally from, it makes complete sense that there is diversity in the numbers and diversity in the way people grow up and the way communities are built. Um, like, in my personal experience, I mean, I'm Indian American, but, like, my family, like, my Indian community in America all comes from the same village in the same state oh, damn. in India. <laughs> I did not know that. And there's a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah. So we all speak the same language. We're all from the same area. And um, it's there's a lot of us from that area, which is bizarre. Like, like I'm not just Indian. I am a Gujarati Indian. There is a lot of specificity in different communities, in Indian communities, much less across asia you know people speak different languages in different states in india so like obviously there are different communities you know yeah and like obviously there are different 
there there's so many factors that go into building a community and building wealth within a community too yeah and like our numbers are definitely skewed by recent immigration but like there are also things within our history like the chinese exclusion act which specifically worked to disempower and impoverish the chinese community in america this was back in like the 1800s it was a long time ago but it stopped people of asian descent from entering the country and it also worked to stop Asian people from building wealth. Uh, there was also Japanese internment where people were kicked out of their homes and lost most of their wealth because they were Japanese Americans. Yep. So disaggregate the data. Let's get more census data. Let's build programs that helps all Asians and that we can see the distinctions within our community to build a more equitable society. Yeah, the more data we have, the more the better it is for everyone because we just get more specific numbers and we get better information that will inform policy. And speaking of all those different countries and uh, all the places we can come from, um, Joe Biden also uh, has some foreign policy that is really important to us. Um, in terms of Asia, uh, there isn't much on his website, unfortunately. However, uh, the main thing to note on his website is that uh, Joe Biden wants to uh, end the forever wars in, um, it says, in Afghanistan and the Middle East, which Afghanistan is in the Middle East, but okay. <laughs> and uh, it, it, because they've just caused so much in terms of lives, um, and also in terms of money, but, I mean, the money is secondary here. We have ruined nations. Um, as, as he has long argued, Biden will bring the vast majority of our troops home from Afghanistan and narrowly focus um, the mission on targeting al-Qaeda and ISIS. Um, and also, this is really important, he will end the support for the Saudi-led war in Yemen. Um, that is extremely important. Uh, like, Yemen has been a war-torn country for way too long. Um, and it's important that we end our support for that war. We have a huge military budget. And very often when we talk about how to build a budget and how to fund different programs, you look at the military budget and it is, it is so much money. It is so much money that I cannot conceptualize how much money we actually put into the military. So in 2019, the United States spent around $718 billion on the military. Uh, that, that's money. That's a- <laughs> I don't know how it's- That's a big amount of money, and one thing we could do to reduce that amount of money is to stop engaging in endless wars. Let's talk more <laughs> about visas, because this keeps coming up in various ways. Uh, because- Yeah. Yeah. What's- what's up with H-1B visas? Basically, we decided to focus on, uh, Biden's foreign policy with, uh, China and India, because they're- the two largest countries in the world. Yeah. Um, and also they're both Asian. And 
yeah, they're massive global players and they're really important. Their stability is really important to the stability of the world. Um, so U.S. relations with India are really important. Um, Biden in the past has been a strong advocate for uh, strong ties between the U.S. and India. India, again, is the largest recipient of H-1B visas, so his immigration policy is strongly tied to what foreign relations between the two countries would look like. Um, Biden's focus on technology, um, he really wants to modernize everything. Um, that would also greatly help Indians who want to work for tech companies in the U.S. Um, like, again, it's a focus on STEM within immigration and a focus on getting people with PhDs in STEM fields into the country, and that would help Indians who want a better life in America a lot. Um, it should be noted, however, um, that uh, the current prime minister, Narendra Modi, shares a lot more similarities with our current president than he shares with Joe Biden. Um, we'll talk more about that when we discuss what's happening with the Muslim community. However, it should be noted that Joe Biden's website um, doesn't talk as much about the Muslim community in the Indian America section. Um, there's a separate section for the Muslim community. Under the Obama administration, President Obama and Vice President Biden uh, strengthened their cooperation with India to fight terrorism in both India and America. Um, and across uh, the region of South Asia, I'm assuming. Um, Biden believes there can be no tolerance for terrorism in South Asia, cross-border or otherwise, which um, I'm reading as a uh, reference to the ongoing, uh, pretty much constant issues between Indi India and Pakistan. Um, the Biden administration would work with India to support a rules-based and stable Indo-Pacific region in which no country, including China, is able to threaten its neighbors with impunity. Um, China is mentioned because uh, they have, I believe, largely supported Bangladesh um, and other surrounding countries. That's a thing. They're, the issues are extremely complex and for a different podcast, because this is already a very long podcast, but they're there. <laughs> Maybe at one point we will do a specific foreign policy episode. This is not it. Um, but I will say that um, I also read this as, like, Biden subtweeting and, like, throwing shade at Pakistan. It does seem like the Biden administration in this section is outright saying it would basically support India in doing whatever. And that is the section that is specifically within the plan for Indian Americans. Yeah. <laughs> More on that in a sec. Let's... Uh, should we discuss China first? Yeah, let's, let's discuss China, since Joe Biden called them out specifically. So Joe Biden has been incredibly antagonistic towards President Xi Jinping, uh, who even going so far as to call him a thug on the campaign trail. Which is not usually what we call foreign leaders. Um, no. <laughs> but security experts believe China to be America's biggest technological threat to security, uh, even more so than, you know, Russia. And there is an ongoing crisis around Uyghur Muslims that has just shown a terrifying light on the way that China treats 
its own people because they are building concentration camps and heavily monitoring Uyghur Muslims, which is wrong. Yeah, these concentration camps are genuinely terrifying, like, re-education camps. It's horrible. So, now we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, specifically what we found in Joe Biden's plan for Muslim Americans and for the Muslim community, because that's in a different part of his website. Yeah, so the stuff on China that we mentioned isn't on his website, by the way. It, it just isn't there, but Joe Biden has called Xi Jinping a thug. <laughs> That's happened. So, um, according to the website, um, Joe, I hate that they call him Joe on the website. Um, Biden understands the pain Muslim Americans feel towards what's happening in Muslim-majority countries with significant Muslim populations, um... I feel like understand is the wrong word there, but sympathizes. I'm not your proofreader. Yeah, you're you're a white Christian man, Joe. Okay. <laughs> the uh, so this includes the forced detention of Uyghur Muslims in Western China, which is unconscionable. Um, as President Joe would speak out against the internment camps in Xinjiang. Um, and hold the people and companies complicit in this appalling oppression accountable. I'm not sure how you would hold uh, China accountable, but, I mean, I can see how companies could be held accountable more than I can see the government being held accountable, but that's just me personally. So, um, in addition to what's going on in China, um, wait, why do they call it Burma? It's Myanmar, right? Yeah, it's Myanmar. Why are they calling it Burma on their website? So I guess we should start by saying this. So there is this country called Myanmar, which was formerly named Burma. There are complicated reasons about that with, like, the military and an uprising in the late 80s. Um, so, yeah, Myanmar is a country with more than 100 different ethnic groups. And some stuff is happening to some of them. Yeah, basically there has been a a genocide against the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar. Um, And on the Biden website, it says uh, systemic discrimination and atrocities against Burma's Rohingya Muslim Minority is abhorrent, abhorrent and undermines peace and stability. It doesn't say what he'll do about it, but he does acknowledge it. <laughs> I, I think acknowledging it is definitely part uh, of a thing that we need to do, especially given the current administration that just ignores all of the problems. Yeah. However, um... In the Kashmir section, um, Biden is a lot more detailed about what's going on. Um, It would have been nice to see this in the India section of the website, because this is an India problem, as well as a Muslim problem. But, um, okay, Uh, so 
On the Biden website, it says, um, in Kashmir, the Indian government should take all necessary steps to restore rights for all the people in Kashmir, um, restrictions on dissent, such as preventing peaceful protests or shutting or slowing down the internet, uh, weaken democracy, and all of these are things that happened um, in the past year, like in 2019. Oh, yeah. Not yeah. The past year. By the way, yeah. um, people who don't know what Kashmir is, it is a region of that's so Kashmir is a place where like India, Pakistan and China have all been fighting over for a very long time and India annexed it. So, it's a really big conflict with a lot of history and it probably deserves an expert talking about it and in order to understand it you would need to know a lot and probably study it for a very long time we haven't done that yeah but tldr in 1947 um india and pakistan and Bangladesh gained independence from the british and split into different countries and ever since then uh kashmir the region of kashmir which is like the border of india and pakistan has been disputed um yeah and Sometimes the people of Kashmir want their own, their independence. Some people believe they should be part of Pakistan. Some people believe they should be part of India. It's a very difficult and complicated situation. However, what does not help is uh, Narendra Modi annexing the region and then shutting down internet and shutting down peaceful protests in the region. <laughs> uh, yep. Yep. Uh, the right to gather, the right to assemble, the right to peacefully protest and practice your democracy are all really important, and honestly, shutting and slowing down the internet is just annoying. Like, it's wrong, but it's also yeah. annoying. Like, it really made me realize how much communication should be a human right. Like, internet as a communication tool should be a human right. Because how else were people supposed to tell the rest of the world what was going on in Kashmir. You know? Yeah. Um. But Joe Biden said he was disappointed uh, by the measures that India has taken. Yeah. So, um, in addition to, like, the whole annexing of Kashmir situation, um, there has been a national register of citizens in Assam, and um, the a citizen... Ship Amendment Act, um, which discriminates against Muslims, basically. Um, obviously, there's a lot more to, to that, but it's highly discriminatory against Muslims. It's Hindu nationalist. It, it deserves its own episode, and it deserves you learning from experts. Those experts aren't us. No. <laughs> um, Cannot stress that enough. Yeah, so the Biden uh, campaign has stated that these measures are inconsistent with the country's long tradition of secularism and with sustaining a multi-ethnic and multi-religious democracy, which is what it has been. I am not Hindu and I'm not Muslim, but I am Indian American. My family is from India, and this is really stressful but also really important to me um freedom of religion is extremely important to me as a religious minority in both america and india um it's terrifying to see this happen yep uh 
It's a problem. Yeah. Um, it would be nice if uh, Biden was prepared to take the same actions um, in India and in Myanmar that he is in China. We've uh, we've consistently painted China as a villain within American politics and have been doing it for decades, which means it's easier to antagonize them. Uh, and there's not a lot of pushback for that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, genocide is wrong everywhere. So I don't know what's stopping him from saying that it's wrong. Yeah. And so, doing something about it. Yeah. Um, so uh, because Biden is our first choice, we want to make sure that he becomes the best candidate possible and the best president possible. Um, so... Um, I would like to see, personally, some actual foreign policy. Um, foreign policy is extremely important to me as someone with family out of that's not in the country. Um, but also, um, I distinctly remember the uh, Clinton campaign in 2016 being extremely detailed on foreign policy. Obviously, Hillary Clinton had a leg up having been the Secretary of State, but... Um, I would love to see at this point highly detailed plans and policy papers on what's going on in the world. Um, because America, if, if Biden wants America to once again be a leader in the world, we need real foreign policy and not just statements. We need plans and proposals and to be able to actually see what Biden wants to do. Foreign policy is really the one area that the president has a lot of control over. Um, Mm -hmm. Foreign policy isn't really conducted through our Congress outside of funding provisions. And although humanitarian aid is important, uh, our actual relationships with countries is almost exclusively done through the presidency and through the control over the Secretary of State. I hope that Biden announces before he is elected who he is thinking of as Secretary of State, and I hope on that same day he releases a whole foreign policy section and policy. That would be wonderful. So for me, I am much more like domestically focused, and what I would like to see in these policies are specifics about how domestic policy issues are currently impacting the AAPI community. I care a lot about gun violence and education, but I don't think it should have been included in the AAPI plan uh, because he didn't include policies that would specifically address how these issues are impacting our community. And I just, I don't like it. Yeah. If, If you want us to specifically address how things impact Asians, say how they're impacting Asians and then give me solutions that you want to implement. Mm-hmm. So, um, of course, everything we discussed today is extremely important, um, and um, it would be wonderful if we could act on it. So, Katrina, how can we act um, based on what we've learned today? I'm not gonna lie, guys, people, friends, listeners, <laughs> we're running out of time. We are running out of time On the day this episode is released, there will be 55 days left until the November 3rd election. So you're going to make sure you're registered to vote. You're going to make a plan to vote. If you're able to register to vote by mail, you're going to fill in that ballot application before it's too late. Look, 
And last week, we asked you to find just three friends to make sure they're registered to vote and ask them what their plan is to vote because being asked what your plan is statistically increases the likelihood that you will actually vote. What you're gonna do this week is you're gonna find those three friends again and you're going to ask them to ask three friends what their plan is to vote. We are going to build networks of voters, of activists, of people that deeply care about their communities and are willing to ask just by being willing to ask the one simple question, what's your voting plan? Yeah, especially if uh, one of your friends is currently at a university or something, make sure they're registered in the correct place. Um, make sure that they have a plan to vote uh, absentee or something, or and they've ordered their ballot already. Make sure all of that happens. We can do it. This is an Asian-specific episode, and one thing we can do to solve these problems is give Asian people more power within our political system. And you can do that by working to turn Texas blue and volunteering for congressional candidates. So here's the deal. There are two congressional candidates trying to become the first Asian American congressperson from Texas. And they can both do that simultaneously. They're not running against each other. We are seeing more Asians within Texas, as you may remember. Uh, there are so many Asians living in Texas that there was a howdy modi gather rally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways. <laughs> I don't associate with those Indians. <laughs> I don't. But they're there, and we can... We can try to change their minds. We can acknowledge that Asian Americans have power within the system, and then we can use that power to send Asian Americans to Congress. Like Sri Kulkarni, who is running in Texas's 22nd Congressional District, which has the state's largest share of Asian Americans among its voting population, more than 15%. Wow, that's a big number for Asians in... Yeah. There's also Donna Imam, who is running in Texas's 31st congressional district. These are both great candidates. Please volunteer to phone bank or text bank for these candidates and put more Asian Americans in power. Yes, let's do it. So, uh, Norali, what is our good news this week? So, um, our good news is actually super related to what we were discussing today. Um, so the census is sort of saved. Um, Basically, uh, Donald Trump wanted the uh, Census Bureau to wind down operations this month, and a judge stopped that. A judge ordered the Census Bureau to stop winding down operations, which means there is more time. Look, we have seen again and again that the communities that are at risk of being undercounted are largely impoverished communities. They are communities of color. They are communities where we don't necessarily trust the government because they haven't done a lot to help us. But it is important that everyone be counted in the census so we can have an accurate idea of how many people just live in the area because that impacts our funding uh, that we get from the federal government. It also impacts what our state governments and our local governments decide to do and are capable of doing. And we deserve to be served. We deserve to have funding be reflective of who we are and how many people are here. We deserve good public schools and roads and sewer systems. 
And to get all of that, we need an accurate census count. Yeah, it's extremely important. Um, and I'm glad uh, the Census Bureau, for now, um, is able to continue operations as usual instead of winding down. Um, so the or it says uh, in this new news article um, that the order stops the Census Bureau from winding down operations until a court hearing is held on September 17th. So that's in a couple of weeks. Um, so hopefully we'll have an update for you, and hopefully it's also good news. All right, and uh, finally, what is our mango fact this week? Our mango fact is that uh, Thai mangoes are a thing. Um, basically, uh, there is going to... So um, there's a company called Agri Developments, and they are expanding mature mango development in Thailand. Um, yeah, they want... Uh, f- they are... <laughs> They want to make several varieties of mangoes, including honey mango, black gold, and sticky rice mango, which I love mangoes. I love mango sticky rice, so I didn't know there was a specific sticky rice mango, but I'm happy about it. (laughs) I'm real excited about this. Yeah. Um, That's really good mango news. If you want to see more from me, you can find me at Katringa Ames on YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Twitch. And uh, probably a fifth thing. Where can we find you, Norelli? Uh You can find me in almost all the same places. Uh, I'm Fireword Sparkler on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube. I have a TikTok, but I've only posted one TikTok, and I don't think it's my thing, but I'm enjoying yours. They're very fun Steven Universe fan art things. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and you can also follow the podcast at On Your Left Pod on Twitter. And we have also just found our Instagram account and the password for it. So also there. <laughs> we have rediscovered our Instagram. Um, I'm working on it. I'm not a big fan of Instagram, but I'm trying. <laughs> we'll find a way. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Have a great week. Yeah, have a good week. Bye.